Welcome to Moving Mountains. Sasha Trucks welcomes the opportunity to recognize nonprofits that are delivering value and empowering communities through professional development within the United States. This segment highlights the efforts of CEO Work Center for Employment Opportunities, which exclusively serves people who have recently returned home from incarceration, the majority of whom are on probation or parole. Christopher Wattler, Chief External Affairs Officer, joins us to educate audiences on the premise of CEO work and how businesses, including civilians, can participate to support this respectable cause. Welcome, Chris, to Moving Mountains today. Hi, Sasha. Thanks so much for having me on. As the Chief External Affairs Officer at CEO Work, you have a considerable background where you have, you have represented and assisted the underserved population throughout most of your career. How did you come across the opportunity at CEO Work? Sure. Um, you know, I've, I've spent 32 years working in the nonprofit space. And I've been very fortunate to work for some amazing organizations and, uh, and privileged and honored to be, you know, have worked with many communities and um, many, you know, folks will call uh, people who are served clients or participants. I just call them wonderful human beings. Um, uh, so I've been very blessed in that regard. And I came to CEO four years ago. Um, really because I became very interested in what CEO was doing to scale its work with people who are formerly incarcerated. Uh, so our mission at CEO is to uh, help people with criminal convictions who were recently incarcerated to, to get a job. And so we've been doing that work uh, for since 1996, and uh, we started in New York City, and we're now in 30 cities around the country. So I came to CEO four years ago uh, with a deep interest in helping the organization to scale and achieve the impact that we're achieving. So I'm very, very excited about the work. So for those who don't know, how would you describe transitional employment? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. And it I guess I'll, I'll start by talking about CEO's model, which, you know, just to put transitional employment uh, in, in a little bit of context. And uh, before I do that, I'll, you know, pull back a minute and say, you know, when we in this country talk about mass incarceration, we're really talking about uh, a, a situation where our criminal justice system has been used uh, I would say, and many inappropriately, to address many uh, social problems and, and issues. And in fact, itself has become a generator of many of the social uh, problems that uh, some of our poorest communities um, and citizens and community members experience. So um, 2.2 million people are behind bars in the United States, four and a half million are on some form of probation or parole. Uh, 
70 million Americans have a criminal conviction, uh, and about 19 million of those are felony convictions. And so when you think about the scale and scope of mass incarceration in the United States, what you're looking at is a criminal justice system uh, that is very expensive. Um, States alone spend about $85 billion a year just on corrections expenses. expenses. Um, And at the same time, the system produces very poor results. So there's not a lot of evidence that um, locking up um, hundreds of thousands of people every year uh, is actually helping to produce public safety. But we do know is that it makes people more likely not to have a job when they come out. If people are sick uh, when they go in, they're sicker when they come out. It does very little to help victims of crime. Um, So we have a system that really needs a lot of reform, and it's in that spirit, I think, that lots of uh, organizations like CEO uh, were started. And so for us, our model is, is simple. It's a four-phase model. So if you come out of prison or jail and you're unemployed and you want to work and you can work, um, you can come to CEO. You will take part in a five-day orientation. And at that point, we'll make sure that you're prepared to work. We'll make sure you have all your documents you know, so that you can legally work in the country. We will um, talk to you about CEO, the experience, and what your, uh, the kind of support you're going to get. And um, we'll also help you to start to think about other things that maybe you should be doing, think, looking at yourself, your own, um, maybe the way that you approach uh, solving problems. Uh, maybe there are other things that you need in your life. So to kind of get you thinking about that. At the end of the orientation, we give you a pair of black steel toe boots and you get a CEO ID. And you literally, at that point, are um, hired by CEO. And the following week, you will start working on one of our transitional work crews. The work crews are really the heart of you know, what we do. Um, we have uh, what we call the uh, staff we call site supervisors who every day they go out on crews of four to eight individuals, and those crews do work in the community that CEO gets paid for, primarily through government um, agencies. So we will work with public housing authorities. We'll work with departments of transportation. Sometimes uh, private uh, sector companies will also hire CEO, and those crews will do light maintenance work, groundskeeping work, like construction, uh, the crews are kind of a flexible workforce uh, for our employers. But for our participants, what they're getting is real work experience, um, supervised by a staff person. Um, we also give them a debit card when they enroll in CEO. And at the end of their shift every day, uh, we load their pay onto the card for that day. So if I just came out of prison and I came to CEO, Within a week, I'm already putting some money in my pocket to help me with the things that I have to do uh, in my life. So I'm working already. I'm getting paid. Um, While they're on the transitional work crew, the site supervisor is also rating their performance 
on the crew, uh, and we use a uh, system called Salesforce. So that information goes from the site supervisor's phone into our Salesforce system. And then each week, um, every person meets with their job coach. And the job coach is kind of the core person is going to help that individual to remove any barriers that might prevent them from ultimately getting a job placement, um, you know, with one of CEO's employer partners. So you're meeting with your job coach every week. You're working every week with us. We're getting, you know, making sure you have a resume, making sure you have all the things that you need to be able to work if you have any challenges, whether it's around housing or you have other needs, we will work to resolve those needs. And then when someone is what we call job start ready, we uh, then they move on to work with one of our job developers. We call them business account managers. And the business account managers, they're talking to employers all the time about their employment needs, and they get to know the participant and what they're interested in, and they make matches in that regard. And the Participants are then sent out on interviews with employers. And once someone is hired by one of our employer partners, and over since our inception, CEOs will work with over 4,000 employers around the country. Um, so we know our employer partners. We know their needs. Um, uh, they know us. <laughs> they, you know, they come to us because they want to hire from CEO. Uh, and, and once they hire from us and once a participant gets a job, we stick with them for a year in retention services. So when we talk about transitional employment, we're talking about employment that allows someone to gain work experience, uh, to get paid uh, right after transition, uh, right as they're transitioning from prison uh, or jail. And that's important because there's – data that shows we, when someone leaves prison, you want to make sure that they have the opportunity to work as soon as possible. That actually helps to reduce recidivism. You know, studies done on CEO's work has shown that. Uh, we see that consistently. Uh, you, the old saying, a job is the best social service program, uh, certainly holds up for, for uh, people who are leaving incarceration. Thank you for sharing. You touch upon the metric. Now, business owners may be curious, what are the metrics that are used to assess their participation? You know, we look at a, a number of things. And, you know, the, the most important thing is that the people who come to us are eager to work. Like, so that desire to work is no different than any other job seeker. Um, but that desire is not enough. Right? We know that employers may need people with specific skill sets. A lot of our employers talk about, you know, I want someone who's ready to work, you know, can show up on time, just the basic things that you require of an employee. Many of our participants may have not held a job before. They have limited education, um, many of them. Uh, about 40% of our participants are between 18 and 26, sadly. Um, these are young people. And we know that young people not working at that point in their life, um, you know, means that they will have all sorts of challenges later in life. So, we, you know, we believe in this idea that you want to get people connected uh, to a job as soon as, you know, as possible after incarceration. 
And so, yeah, you know, we, if, if you're an employer, you want to know, uh, are the people that I'm seeing from CEO, have they, are they ready to work? Have they proven that they can hold a job? And so, you know, we track everything that our participants do. We track um, the amount of time that they spend on transitional work, the amount of time it takes for them to get uh, to employment. Uh, with us, which is usually about three and a half uh, months, a little longer now with the pandemic, but a whole range of uh, metrics we're always uh, looking at. And we also are just keeping in mind that our participants are individuals who are most likely to experience a lot of uh, bias in hiring. Uh, There's a famous study by uh, a researcher, Diva Pager, where she was sending uh, individuals, different kinds of individuals, uh, white individuals, black individuals, black individuals with criminal conviction uh, histories, white individuals with criminal conviction histories uh, to, uh, to employers to see, you know, if they would get callbacks from a job. And a white person with a criminal conviction was more likely to be called back for employment than a black person without a criminal conviction. So you can imagine what happens for people of color who are job seekers who have criminal convictions. It's just a you know, tremendous barrier. Um, so our employers, vast majority come back to us over and over again because they get good value out of um, the folks that they hire from us. They know that our, our participants are great workers, eager to work, no more uh, a risk than other employees that they might hire. And in many cases, our participants are much more loyal uh, employers and much more likely to kind of not just stick with a company, but also to really rise, you know, with a, a business because, you know, they're hard workers and they're really being given an opportunity. And no less than the U.S. military has seen this as well. There's a study to show that people who enter the military who have conviction uh, histories are actually more likely to attain rank and attain rank uh, faster. So they, they make better soldiers, not just, not just better workers. Your entity is truly providing second chance uh, among the participants. How can businesses connect with you if they are interested in opening up a couple vacancies for your participants? Yeah, I really welcome that. Our, we could not do this uh, work without our business partners. And, you know, we spend a lot of time really wanting to understand our business partners, understand their needs, and work to help them meet their hiring needs. Um, the one thing, the first thing that I'll say to any business that's listening to this is when you come to CEO, we're not charging you for the services. <laughs> um, so unlike staffing agencies, we – um, we really, you know, live and die on the good relationships that we develop with businesses, but also um, those businesses know they're coming, so they don't have to pay a fee. Um, we also are available if there are any, uh, you know, special needs uh, that, they, you know, they might have. Um, and some businesses might come to us and say, hey, I want to hire an individual to fill a vacancy. Some businesses might say, I'm very interested in your crews. You know, I have some cleaning or some light construction work or some maintenance work. 
that I need done, and I'd love to hire a crew. And, and we can, uh, pr- you know, provide crews for short-term uh, use or longer-term use. Um, so we work with business partners in that way. And then the, the other thing I'll mention, which is new, uh, we have uh, also consulting services to help businesses that want to be more inclusive employers. So beyond just hiring from us, particularly for large companies, if there are large companies out there, how, you know, helping those companies to really open up their hiring practices to be more inclusive, teaching them how to do this uh, in a way where they're getting some really great uh, employees and also diversifying their workforce. So increasingly we know uh, workers want to work for companies that are having social impact. Uh, and at CEO, we are seeing a lot of interest in uh, companies that want us to work with them to help them really fine-tune how, how they're hiring so that they can hire more people with convictions, uh, even in, in cities or places where CEO may not uh, have a presence, teaching them how to do that uh, anywhere that their business is hiring is, is you know, something that we're uh, passionate about and something that we now offer a service uh, to businesses. There are also individuals that tend to volunteer and provide services. Are there any services that you, your organization is in need of? And this could be an open call to welcome those members to share their skill set that they could contribute? Sure. We love volunteers. Um, during the pandemic, we've, you know, we've had to uh, adjust things. Uh, so we have been doing some virtual uh, volunteer events and opportunities uh, focused on resume uh, preparation and mock interviewing for our participants. So that's been a really great um, you know, opportunity for folks who've wanted to volunteer with us. And we've had volunteers who've been with CEO for many years, and then we've had folks who've come, you know, a couple of times uh, to volunteer either way. Um, if you're a company out there and you want to partner with us on a volunteer program, we are certainly uh, happy to do that. We work with some companies to do that. We have our young professionals group. We have a group of young professionals who are really working to um, you know, to volunteer more regularly with us at CEO. It's also great networking, getting to know other, other young professionals. So lots of ways to kind of in, engage with us. Um, of course, I'd be remiss, we are a nonprofit. We survive on philanthropic and, and uh, individual donations. So I certainly would welcome people if you wanted to donate uh, to CEO. Uh, we hold regular learning events for our donors uh, where we will, you know, have now Zoom conferences and bring people together just to learn about criminal justice, learn about the work we're doing. We want to make sure that folks are not just donors or volunteers, but that we're actually educating uh, people to understand the issues that are so uh, important in our work. And with the latest current events with the pandemic, how has the activities within the organization and for the participants been impacted? Yeah, we, you know, we, like a lot of organizations and companies, we've had to very quickly move to uh, virtual uh, and remote engagement for much of our, uh, our services. So we, 
Um, you know, when the pandemic started, we had to follow health guidelines. We closed our offices. Um, we began to work remotely with participants. Um, we were seeing lots of job losses among participants who had been uh, employed. So we had both participants who were looking for work, but also participants coming back to us um, who needed to get, you know, find a new job. And to our credit, our staff were just amazing. Um, we actually had more engagement with participants remotely because we had to keep, uh, keep in touch with folks more, which was, was great. And um, we also continued to operate our crews. Um, so that, you know, that also was an, an important piece. We knew that our participants needed to work and that in order to work, um, we needed to keep our crews operating safely, of course. So we unfortunately had to reduce the number of transitional work opportunities, but we were able to keep the crews, uh, for the most part, uh, operating throughout the country, both providing services to the community uh, that were needed, but at the same time providing opportunities for our participants who needed work and you can imagine, many of our participants come from communities and families that are uh, less fortunate. These are communities where um, the transitional work income in a household might have been the only thing that was coming in. If you were in a household where other people were working in a restaurant or working in other um, businesses that were in, kind of impacted by COVID, uh, that transitional income became even more urgent for that family. So uh, we were glad that we were able to continue to, to, to do that. Um, and we are continuing, We've, you know, working remotely, following local health and safety guidelines in terms of opening our offices. We've slowly begun to do that as it's been safe uh, to do. So having some more in-person services, obviously, not in the same way that we had it before. So more social distancing, um, you know, classes that might have had 20 people might only be eight, so that we can, you know, spread uh, folks out and be safe. Um, and then the other big thing that we initiated was a cash assistance program for people leaving uh, incarceration during the pandemic. Called the, uh, we call it the Returning Citizen Stimulus. We got together with some of our philanthropic partners nationally, um, and to their credit, they were able to put up $30 million to provide cash payments to people uh, who were leaving incarceration during the pandemic. Uh, we, when all is said and done, we would have served uh, probably close to 10,000 uh, individuals uh, in this way. And the way that we did that is we used our, I mentioned our debit card system. Um, we also worked with some partners in, in states and cities that were high impact. So New York City, for example, uh, we worked with networks of partners. So a person coming home from prison or jail could get connected either to CEO or another service and we wanted to make sure that the cash payments leverage people getting connected to services. But we also wanted to make sure that we gave people money um, and the payments were up to $2,700 paid out over three months. 
So we wanted to make sure that they had money in their pockets to do the things they needed to do during the pandemic because, unfortunately, a lot of the federal aid that was made available to most, uh, most Americans uh, was not uh, made available to people with criminal convictions. So you couldn't get un- enhanced unemployment benefits if you weren't working, even if you were working in prison. Once you were released, um, you did not and come into an economy where there was huge job losses, especially at the entry level. We knew that the people coming home were going to need extra support. So we are that project. We're continuing that project uh, through the uh, next couple of months, and we're doing some research on it to see what we learned. But the stories that we're hearing from it are just so empowering. Uh, that individuals took these dollars and, you know, helped their families. You know, one individual brought a car uh, so that he could get, so that she could get to work, but also she lived with someone who had, uh, has a, a, a debilitating disease and was able to help this person get to her doctor's appointments, you know, with that car. So, you know, all of these stories emerging that when you give people financial resources, um, they're going to be smart about how they use those resources in their lives uh, to really help them get, get, get a leg up. For educational purposes, I was going to ask you that for those that may have been laid off or their work hours may have been compromised because of the pandemic, whether they would qualify for unemployment. But thank you for providing the overview that there were certain limitations which allowed yeah. CEO to step in. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's important. You know, some, some individuals who may have been working, maybe you got out last year, might have been eligible for some benefits, but some federal benefits actually preclude people with felony convictions from um, getting assistance. And, uh, you know, we, we advocate in our, our policy work to change those things. We think, particularly in a pandemic, you shouldn't have those kinds of exclusions. You should be helping everyone you can help because um, we're all in this together. We all are, you know, want to get out of this together. Uh, but it, it does, you know, we need to look closely at the policies that prevent barriers. And Sasha, there there are over 45,000 collateral consequences that men and women with felony convictions face even after they have paid their debt. Even after you finish your sentence, you are still denied opportunities for employment. You're denied uh, licenses. Uh, you can't work in some businesses. You can't take certain jobs. Um, you can't vote. 5.1 million Americans couldn't vote. This cycle because they had a felony convictions. These are the kinds of things that don't make any sense, and we really need to uh, need to change those laws. And finally, we have a wish list question. Let's say hypothetically, a generous donor donates seventy million dollars to your organization. How would you invest that money? Yeah, I mean that. Um, I would love that. If there's anyone out there, I'd love to talk to them uh, about that. But whether it's $7 or $70 million, uh, I think, you know, we, we would invest that in the services that we are providing to our participants. Uh, the gifts that we receive allow us to do the things I was discussing, right? That, that work, our frontline staff, 
those job coaches, those uh, job developers, those site supervisors out in the crews in the middle of a pandemic, um, you know, we want to support our staff on the front line doing that work. So some, you know, the, the investments that we get help in that way. But also I think we want to think big and we want to think how to create the kind of structural changes that are going to make it possible so that we're not, we don't have 2.2 million uh, people in prisons and millions more going through jails. We need to change that. We need to create safety without mass incarceration. And in many parts of the country, we have seen that that's possible. Uh, so we, we would want to invest in our policy work to create those kinds of changes and then to, you know, to make investments in, in our participants, in people. Uh, I, I commend the foundations and donors that stood up to do the returning citizen stimulus. I think that that is a great example of you know, philanthropy. But I'm also thinking about the future, thinking about how CEOs work can be expanded, you know, how we can make a bigger impact in the lives of people and communities. So if anyone wants to do donate to a cause that does good work, and we actually, one, one of our seminal evaluations was a randomized control trial study that not only showed reduced recidivism, it showed that for every dollar invested in CEO, there's $3.20 of public benefit. So we actually... We know that we're a good, a good value for our donors. The return on investment is wonderful. And out of all of the cities that are represented at the moment, is there one up-and-coming city that will be joining the list? We, you know, we're, we're always, we're right now in 30 cities. Um, we, are, we are looking at Atlanta uh, as, as our, our next uh, uh, city. So really excited about that. We just opened in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, so really excited about that. So if, if any of your listeners are in any of our cities, you know, whether you want to volunteer or make a donation, um, I like to say that we're a national organization, but we're also fresh and local. You know, we are, our staff locally are from those communities, um, and we are working you know, in those communities. So we certainly welcome anyone who's interested in supporting the work that's happening in any of our cities. Well, on an annual basis in the world of Sasha Talks, I like to celebrate nonprofits and other commercial entities that are doing great work with self and professional development. And I want to thank you, Chris, for dropping by and educating audiences of how they can make a positive impact. Well, thanks so much for, for having me, and I really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and, and your listeners. Likewise, and you're welcome to share where they could contact you. Yes, I, I would direct people to our website, um, ceoworks.org. Um, you can find the Center for Employment Opportunities also on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, on Twitter. So please uh, follow us. But if you go to our website, you can subscribe to our email list. you get regular updates about what we're doing, and uh, if you want to make a donation, we make that really easy as well. So that's ceoworks.org. Thank you, Chris, for joining Mountain. Thank you. And we look forward to learning what comes next. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>